of all, all of God's people said amen. amen. Welcome back, Amy. I would appreciate your prayers. Thank you, John and Bob. Uh, your prayers really appreciated, and especially that we will head down under this week, and um, we'll have a, a, a rally that has been postponed because of COVID at the Sydney Convention Center on the 26th. Jonathan, is it 26th? Yeah, thank you. Jonathan's going to be there emceeing the whole big event. And, um, and then we'll go to New Zealand for a meeting with our supporters there, which I have never been there before, only at the airport. So we've been broadcasting in New Zealand for 12 years, and I've never been there. So they kept asking us, to come and stop by. So Elizabeth and I will stop in New Zealand and uh, have a dinner with uh, many of our viewers and listeners and supporters and partners. And um, we'll head back. You've got a really amazing group of uh, people who will be preaching here in my absence. Uh, David Nasser, who was chaplain and uh, vice president of Liberty University before he moved on and started his own ministry. A great testimony who came here from Iran, and I'll be introducing him by way of video. And uh, then Eric Metaxas needs no introduction. And uh, I'll be back on the 4th to welcome Dr. Al Mola. Father, as uh, my friend uh, Bunky prayed before the service, this is your church. We're your children. This is your work, and we're about your work, not ours. We are mere servants working in the vineyard. May we do everything for the glory and the honor of the Master who redeemed us and saved us. In his name I pray. Amen. Well over 100 years ago, in fact, the past century, the Union Pacific Railway attempted to build an elaborate trussel bridge across a large canyon. You can imagine back then civil engineering, what it is, is not like it is now with so much knowledge that we have, uh, more sophistication in all the building projects and civil engineering. They, did not have detailed knowledge of the material they were working with. They did not have computer modeling like we do now. They did not have the knowledge of the stress level on bridges as we do now. But the chief engineer at that time built the bridge the best, no, best way he knows how, believing that this is a very strong bridge. And he was so certain of the strength of that bridge that he loaded extra cars than normally on a train that would be going across. Extra cars and then extra equipment. In other words, there were actually twice as many or as much payload as normally will be pulling through over that bridge. And he left that train for 24 hours. Now, some people said, are you nuts? Are you trying to break the bridge? Why are you doing this? He replied, the chief engineer replied, said, no, I'm trying to prove that this bridge will never break. He said, Michael, why are you telling us this little trivia? This is not trivia pursuit, but remember it. You may use it in one of those games. <laughs> but I, want, I use this story. I'm going to come back to it again and again because it illustrates a very vital spiritual principle. It explains what this petition in the disciples' prayer that we're going to look at today lead us not into temptation. I'm going to do deliver us from the evil one when I get back. <laughs> Hopefully I'll have stories to tell. But Here's the problem about this one. <laughs> this one petition, of all the others, they called it the 
most controversial petition in what is known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, they argued about it. Many have misunderstood it. In fact, there are books written <laughs> in different views about it. Lead us not into temptation. Say it with me. Lead us. So what is that controversy, you say? Well, does God lead us into temptation? Right? It's the question. This is why people debated it. That's why they wrote books about it. That's why they argued back and forth. Does God lead us into temptation? Well, so, so far, so good, right? We've been going through the disciples' prayer. We saw first the privilege of being in God's family, <laughs> our daddy. Then we saw the promise of spending eternity in heaven. Then we saw the joy of being, of belonging to the Lord. Hallowed be your name. Fourthly, we saw the transformation of citizenship with God, your kingdom come. Five, we saw the determination to obey the will of God, your will be done. And six, we saw the peace that comes from being utterly dependent on God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. And the seventh and last message we saw, the challenge of maintaining and imitating our Heavenly Father. He forgives, we forgive. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. All of that is wonderful, right? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, it's amazing. It's great. There's no other superlatives that I can use. It's understandable. Joy, blessing in every one of them. But lead us not into temptation that's different. As I mentioned, through the years, this one line caused a storm of controversy. And I pray to God, and I've been praying since the early hours of this morning, that you be so blessed when you have the understanding of what that really means, that you literally be walking out of here on cloud nine. Can I get an amen? amen. Why is it controversial? Well, because not everyone agrees of what it means. Those of you who have heard me long enough, you know, I've always said to you, you get into trouble, I get into trouble if I start interpreting the Scripture myself. Always, always, always interpret the Scripture by… God bless you. In case in the online land there didn't hear, they said, by the Scripture. <laughs> So what does it mean, lead us not into temptation? I'm going to give you the bottom line. I'm going to give you the very core of what it means, and I'm going to come back and unpack it for you. The muddle is in the confusion of two words, two English words, by the way, not Greek New Testament, but two English words. This is where the the confusion and the muddle comes from, okay? The word testing and the word tempting. Did you get that? The word testing and the word tempting. In James chapter 1, verses 2 all the way to 4, here's what he said. Consider it pure joy, brethren, whenever you face trials or temptations of any kind. Because you know, you know what? Because you know, you know what? You know that your testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance will make you mature, perfects you. In the same chapter, the same chapter, just down a few verses, James chapter 1, verses 13, 14, and 15, he said, when tempted by evil… No one, say no one with me, no. should say, 
God tempted me. Huh? How can pray not lead us not into temptation? And James said, no one should say, God tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. What's the point? Listen carefully. Testing, said James, does you good. <laughs> it really does. It does you good. Because you learn to persevere and you become complete. When you pass the test, you get rewarded, right? You go to an upper grade. You go from lower grade to upper grade when you pass the test. Uh, but temptation, <laughs> it can lead you to unmitigated disaster. Because it can drag you down. Now remember this. Testing pulls you up. Temptation pulls you down. All right, let's, let's do the, the, the ac action together, okay? Testing, temptation pulls you down. Remember this formula. It's going to bless you if you remember it in times, in days to come. Remember it, remember it, remember it. Tempting and testing are diametrically opposed to each other. Ah, uh, but here comes the real cause for the controversy and the controversial problem. In the Greek New Testament, it's one word. One word. For testing and tempting, just one word. This is really the problem and the issue of debate. Periasmos is the same word that can be used positively or negatively. You have to do it in context. It means testing, but it also means enticing. It means seduction uh, to evil or revealing your pure character. It implies Corruption or bringing good out of bad. So what are we praying when we say, Lord, lead me not into temptation? Here's what we're doing. We are crying to God and saying, Lord, don't permit me to be in a situation where I might fail you. Have you ever failed the Lord? I have. Back to the bridge and the train. Because it really illustrates this very important spiritual principle. Overloading the train on top of the bridge is periasmos. Sure, the bridge is going to suffer stress. Sure, it can break, or, are you listening? Or, it can prove to be vitally strong. It all depends on the motives. In this incident, there are two contrasting motives. God is like the chief engineer. His motive is not to see whether you break or not, but to prove that you will not. For this exact same reason, God sent His Son to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Listen to me. In Luke chapter 4, it says, Jesus, filled of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that Satan led Jesus into the wilderness. He didn't. God the Father, through God the Holy Spirit, took Jesus to the wilderness. Satan did not lure him there. The Spirit led Jesus there, knowing full will what's going to happen. Satan's motive, total destruction, of course. 
He wants Perismos to be our undoing. He takes every opportunity to pummel us. He tries to break us. He tries to uh, drive us into evil. And so, in every circumstance in life, Satan tempts us, but God does what? Okay, some of you got it. God what? Does what? Come on. Satan's intention is to bring us down, but God's intention is to strengthen us and mature us. Satan wants to defeat us, but God wants, to, wants us to appropriate His power that is available to us. Satan wants us to be discouraged. He wants to discourage us, but God wants to lift us up above discouragement. Satan wants to feel, makes us feel bad about ourselves, but God wants us to feel great about our Heavenly Father. You see, Satan wants us to cater to self. And this is the beginning of trouble. But God wants us always to be seeking to make, bring honor to His name. Before I run out of time, I want to give you three principles. They're not three-point sermon. Richard, uh, you, you, what's the second point? Budget was known. I didn't get it. But, uh, Three principles. You can write them in three lines, okay? I'm going to come to the message and the point of the message in a minute. This is, I'm still in the introduction, okay? <laughs> three principles. Please write them down. Type them on your… Yeah, I, I allow you to get your phone out and, and type them in there. Send them as an email or message to yourself, okay? I pray to God that these principles would, would, would be tucked in the cortex of your brain and your heart to remember every time. Number one, here's the line. I'm going to explain it, but here's the line. God always, always has Satan on a short leash. I have neighbors who walk their dogs. Bless their hearts. Sometimes they have a very long leash. <laughs> God has Satan on a short leash. God would say to Satan, with Michael or with you, you name your own name, you can go this far but no further. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. You can go so far but not further. In Luke chapter 22, when Jesus warns Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. In verse 31 of 22 of, of Luke, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, be very careful when God calls you twice by your name. When I hear Michael, Michael, my goodness gracious, I'm on my knees. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked, you see, he has, has to ask God's permission. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. I've seen wheat being sifted. It is a terrible place. But I prayed for you. No wonder the Scripture said Jesus right now is interceding for us on the right hand of God. He's praying for you. He's praying for you now. But I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Same thing happened with Job in Job chapter 1, verse 12. God said to Satan, you can go so far, but not any further. That's the first one. Remember the word leash, if you can't remember the whole line, okay? Short leash. Secondly, the second thing I want to share with you about temptation is this. Satan knows our weak points. <laughs> Satan knows our weak points. He knows which button to push. And the button he pushes in your life is different from the button he pushes with me or everybody else around you. Back to Peter's reaction to the Lord's warning in Luke twenty-two thirty-three, 33. Peter replies to the Lord, I'm ready to go to prison. I'm, I'm going to die for you. I got your back. 
Think about this for a long, long time, okay? Let me tell you something. Satan has the best spy operation in the world. If you combine all of M15 and CIA and all, they wouldn't even hold the candle to his spy operation. Satan knows exactly what area in your life and in my life that are not totally surrendered under the power of God. He knows what area that in, my, in your life and in mine that is not under the control of the Holy Spirit. He knows them. And he zeroes in on one of these or all of these with bullseye accuracy. Accuracy. Question. Did Peter's rhetoric match his action? No, hardly. <laughs> A few hours later, not days, hours, a few hours later, he even denied knowing Jesus. Who? Never heard of him. What's his name? Jesus. No, no, never heard of him. See, Satan knew that Peter's weak point is the longing of saving his own skin. And where? Satan 10, Peter Zilch. Do you think you are different? Do you think you are different? I'm not different. I promise you. Ask yourself the question. Does God control every area of my life? I'm always going wholesale, wholesale, and retail with God. I give him the whole package, but then I even go spill them all out. Is your fear and anxiety under the control of the Holy Spirit? Is your lust under the control of the Holy Spirit? Is your addiction under the control of the Holy Spirit? Is lying and greed and all of that under the control of the Holy Spirit? If you are not if they are not in all areas, then you can pray, lead me not into temptation all day long. It's not going to help you one bit until you bring everything under His control. Please listen to me. When you have an area that you have not handed over to God's control, you're already given Satan access into your life. You don't have to tell him, you know, come on in. No, no, he'll, he'll, he'll know how to get there. It's like handing a thief the key of your house and say, don't make too much damage, please. The third. The first is the short leash. The second is what? There you go. He knows our weak points. The third, third principle about temptation. You must know, you need to know, once temptation has entered in, it's almost too late. Most often, we start praying when temptation is already inside the door. While in reality, you should be praying, Lord, lead me not into temptation when the temptation is still a million miles away. Can I get an amen? amen. Question. Do you want to defeat Satan? Yes. Do you want to defeat Satan? Yes. Look very carefully on how temptation works. Look carefully at how temptation works. Do you, know, you want to know how it works? Well, I'm glad you asked. At least one of you said yes. Four steps. Now listen to me. I don't give you three principles, four steps every Sunday, right? You know that. Uh, I, uh, this is exception. 
This is the exception. It's a vitally important part of this Lord's Prayer. We call the Lord's Prayer the Disciples' Prayer. It's an exception. Just forgive me ahead of time. I'm always trying to be as uh, brief as possible. Four steps. The first step. Temptation always sneaks in under the radar. Detection. Sneaks in. Remember, Satan knows what sells. He knows what sells. He has done his marketing research. (laughs) He knows what makes human tick. You see, Satan has discovered this formula, and he knows that it works, and therefore he seldom, if ever, changes it. He sticks with the program. The only thing changes about that formula is individual application. Individual application and the context in which we live. Satan seldom changes his strategy, which really should be an encouragement to us. He did not saddle up to Eve and said, hey, girl, hey, I'm Satan. And really, I wanted to disobey God. The alarm bells would have rang everywhere. He said, no, 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 buzz off, no way. No, he's no fool. The last thing he wanted to do is for alarm bells to start ringing. So what does he do? He tries to get you to turn off the sensor. He would try to confuse that whole mechanism inside of us as to blur the clear distinction between right and wrong. How? By asking you simple questions. Very sweetly and very gently and very quietly. Very simple. He is so subtle. In introducing the thoughts, he's very subtle. To Eve, he said, oh, you didn't hear God correctly. Did you really hear him? Did, did, did he really mean this? Is this how you understood it? Oh, no, 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 no. See, God might be unreasonable in some of his demands. God might be unfair of demanding things and expectations of us. You see, God may have demanded these things back in the Stone Age, but not in the 21st century. Hello. I literally heard pastors say preach that. Not modern times. But remember this, long before Satan makes temptation stick, he will do his spade works in your life and mine. He'll make you doubt the relevance of the Word of God to today. My goodness, there's a wholesale departure from the Word of God today. He's going to muddy the water by telling you, it's just your interpretation. It's just the interpretation of this guy, Yusuf. He doesn't know. He's from the Middle East. <laughs> it's just his interpretation. His take, that's his take on it. Believe me, I've heard that from church leaders. There are different angles to the Scripture. They're just different angles. There's no agreement among theologians about these difficult issues. Uh, They're too complicated. Look at how theologians disagree about them. They all differ interpretations. So you do your own interpretation, right? There are whole denominations, entire denominations, who have changed the definition of marriage. You need to move along with them. I'll never forget, one day a bishop in the church said to me, some of you probably seen that in Trust and Obey. 
He said, Michael, I really feel sorry for you. I said, you're feeling sorry for me? <laughs> because inside, I'm feeling sorry for him <laughs> and for his eternal future. But I, nonetheless, I went along. <laughs> he said, why do you feel sorry for me? He said, you remind me of a student who enrolled in college, and the curriculum changed, and he doesn't know. I said, my curriculum has never changed. The Word of God has never changed. Your curriculum has changed, not mine. <laughs> and then, after he succeeded in doing the spade work, he'll try to get you to replace the unchanging, authoritative Word of God with all these newfangled ideas. After all, these new ideas are very palatable to the vast majority of people. It's very palatable to the prevailing culture. Oh. As long as you're not hurting anybody, <laughs> you're fine. Just remember this. Not me, I'm not saying that Satan is, okay? Because I, I don't want you to think I'm saying this. Love is love, right? Love is love. Actually, what they mean by that lust, they don't really mean love. Because love and truth are inseparable. Doesn't matter how many people you love and, 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 and how many times you love, that doesn't matter. God doesn't care about that. By now, your security system <laughs> has been fiddled with, has been neutralized. So he moves to the second stage, and that's the second stage. He uses the big fat worm. Now listen, I'm not a fisherman. I was forced to go on a fishing trip one year, many years ago with Sam Ayub. I've never forgotten it, but uh, that is just not for me. I knew that was not for me. Beginning, but he didn't give me a choice. He said, here's your ticket. We're flying to Minnesota. I said, okay, well, what do I do in Minnesota? He said, we're going to fish. For how long? Three days. I said, oh, my goodness, three days. <laughs> I adored that couple. So I went. But I, I'm told that no angler worth his salt, that he would dangle the hook into the water and hopes that the fish is going to bite just the hook. See, fish is not stupid, so they tell me. <laughs> I haven't tested them. But fish is hungry. Fish is greedy. And so a fish will bite if the bait that is hooked on the hook is the kind of juicy worms that the fish like. That was Satan's second move with Eve. Come on, come on, Eve. Surely you're not going to die. God didn't mean that. You'll not die. Surely you'll not die. God is only keeping you from the good stuff. <laughs> By that time, Eve's attention shifted completely to the worm. It's very attractive. It's only a nibble away <laughs> from becoming like God. Please listen to me. You have to understand, Satan spent a long time watching Eve, studying her. Uh, he saw her, he watched her as she looked at that tree and as she admired that tree, as she wondered about the tree. And he's watching her as she's wondering what it would be like to go ahead and take the fruit of that tree. And so by now, <laughs> he got her attention. And he knew he could take that to the bank. He lets her focus on the benefits. He lets her focus on the pleasure. He lets her focus on the self-fulfillment. 
He lets her focus on happiness. And for God's sake, who doesn't want to be happy today? It took few choice words by Satan, and voila, Genesis 3, 6, when she saw the fruit was good-looking, delicious and desirable. Not only that, but Satan knew <laughs> that if he can get Eve, Adam is a goner. <laughs> Are you with me? He's done for. <laughs> if Eve comes up to him and says, hey, buttercup, hey, sugar, he knew that. And so at that moment, he got both fish impaled on the same hook. Then he moves to the third stage. The third stage is to ensure that sinning is fun, even though for a short period of time. doesn't have to be for long, just for a short period of time. It's temporary. Today, of course, after the fall of Adam and Eve, Satan doesn't have to work as hard. But nonetheless, nonetheless, he ensured that most of us, if not all of us, would slip into sin by degrees, smaller and smaller degrees, imperceptible first. For some, the entrapment could take years. Remember this, David was not a young man when he fell with Bathsheba. He was not a young man. Satan has been working and working and working and working for years, setting up the traps. But there's more. <laughs> there's more. Satan would get us focused on the positive. He will get us to imagine the possible advantages. He will get us to speculate on what things might be like. Just to speculate. I wonder what it would be like. I wonder how it feels. Once he gets you mentally convinced. He knows that he's halfway in. So he sells you a dream. He sells us a dream. A dream of enjoying the blessings of being a Christian. You're a Christian? Go to church? Yeah. And the illicit joy of sin. Man, this is what you call getting your cake and eating it too. Please listen to me. I love you dearly. And I'm convinced that as God's people get right with God, we're going to see an awakening. But until that happens, we are not going to see it. See, Satan does not care if you enjoy sin or not. He doesn't care. As long as he gets you to try it. He, if you just get high one time, if you get stoned one time, if you get feelings numbed one time, if he gets you to spend all of your resources on yourself one time. Because he knows, Satan knows that habit forming produces dependence. I want to repeat this. Habit forming produces dependence. He knows that. But then soon they discover that one drag is not enough, one look is not enough, one visit is not enough, one sip is not enough. We want more, and we know where to get it. At that point, praying, lead me not into temptation, is a mood issue. I know some of the young people never seen a phone book but it's not any more effective than you reciting the phone book, the old phone book. Please listen to me. I think, I think most of you know my heart. I am not flippant. I really am not flippant, especially about such urgent matter as this. I am not flippant. 
but I also mean to be serious about it. In fact, by the time you pray, lead me not into temptation, by that time, your voice is so faint. You have hearted about it. You say the words, but deep down you're saying, not yet, <laughs> not yet. See, beloved, that's why resisting temptation is not just extremely difficult, it's almost impossible. That's why the Bible never said resist temptation. Did you know that? The Bible never said resist. He said resist Satan. Resist the evil one. But what do you do with temptation? You run. You flee. Flee from temptation. Why? Why? Because God's Word and God knows that temptation is addictive. Many years ago, there was a, a very prominent Wall Street a personality who discovered that addiction to his heroin. He said, I only discovered my addiction when I tried to give it up. It's addictive. But he said, God can slap his finger and deliver me, couldn't he? Of course he can. Of course he can. Yes. But that person, deep down, no longer wants to be delivered. He would say the words, but deep down saying, no, 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 not yet, not yet, not yet. And that is why the Bible, I said, said flee from temptation, which brings me to the fourth and the final step. You, convict, you convince yourself that resistance is futile. That resistance is just hopeless and helpless and can't do anymore. Every time you want to seek the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome, he, of course, he will answer you. But Satan will try the confidence trick. You know what the confidence trick is? Oh, the grace of God will cover it. Don't worry about it. You know, God, God, God's, that's what grace is for. Just keep on going. Oh, make sure you go to a small group with Bible study and church and all that stuff. Or better still, watch it online. <laughs> oh, you don't want to be delivered now. I was giving an interview to the Washington Times, and the lady was interviewing me, and she said, but people don't want to come to God until, you know, when they're young because they want to enjoy life. Oh, here's the big one. Here's the big one. Are you ready for it? God made me that way. He made me that way. Can't help it. He created me with these desires and with these longings. Even the preachers now are coming around <laughs> to this terrible conclusion. Now, let me tell you something. If that person that I'm talking about right now is a true believer, if it's a true believer, because there's a lot of people in the church who are look-alike believers. They're not really believers. But if that person is a believer, sooner or later, he or she will come to feel what Adam and Eve felt. The sense of underlying separation from the Heavenly Father. No amount of sowing fig leaves together will help. No amount of sulking in the forest is going to change that terrible feeling of separation from God. In this case, only two repentance and a total change of direction. A Christian believer who's addicted to temptation differs from Adam and Eve. Listen to me very carefully because I know some of you are already thinking that. It's different in this respect. Unlike then, the New Testament Christian believer 
who got addicted to temptation will not be cursed or kicked out of the garden. Oh, but you will know the depth of despair. You will feel your Christian faith is like a car without an engine. Great set of wheels, but it's going nowhere. If you are entrapped by temptation, there are some people like this elderly lady who invested her life savings in a Ponzi scheme. Think about it. These people who go around and do that to elderly people need to be locked up and never be out of prison. It really is horrible, but this is a true story. This lady invested her life savings in this Ponzi scheme, and then when she lost it all, she called the Better Business Bureau. And the person on the other side of the phone, he said, why didn't you call us before you made your investment? Did you not know about us? Listen to this. She said, oh, I knew all about you. I did not want to call you because you would have told me what I don't want to hear. Beloved, God does not, does not, does not, does not lead us into temptation. We lead ourselves there. But if you want victory, if you want victory, you need to act now. Don't leave it a single moment. But you must be willing to listen what you don't want to hear. You need to hear what you don't like hearing. And it is this. God does not want you to be defeated. God wants you to be victorious. God wants you to pass the test with flying colors. God wants to give you greater strength. See, from God's point of view, He wants to turn the temptation into a test, and then give you a great success in passing the test. A few months after I gave my life to Christ, I want to testify so you understand, I know what I'm talking about. God put me through the test. And I lost my mother. <laughs> I'm not crying over her, I'm crying over me. And the devil began to work on me. I've just been walking with the Lord for 12 months. If God loves you, how come He took your mother? It's the only support you have. And I fell for it. During that time in the wilderness, I learned a great deal. I'm sharing that with you now. Because I don't want anybody, anybody at the sound of my voice to fall for what I fell for. God wants you to pass the test with flying colors. He wants to take you to a higher grade, to a higher level. Now, beloved, I'm getting close to the end, so listen carefully, please. None of us relish trials. I didn't, I don't, I will not. <laughs> I mean, being honest with, with you, no, none of us cherish or, or relish trials. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried to the Father and said, would you take that cup away from me? None of us there is trials. And so, what does it mean to pray? Lead me not into temptation. Is your saying, God, when I face a trial, turn it into a test and then help me pass the test. Help me to persevere. Help me to overcome. Help me to endure. 
Give me victory and let victory be mine. Let my life be a victorious living and be my lifestyle. And so when trials come, please, Lord, transform them into a test, but don't stop there. Help me to pass the test. Let the test make me stronger. Let the test lead me upward and onward. Let me pass the test with honors. And in passing these tests, I'll bring glory and honor to your name. Amen? Will you pray with me, please? In a moment, I'm going to be invited to come to the Lord's table, that very table that reminds us there was that shed blood on the cross that makes it possible for us to pass the test, any test with flying colors. And so I'm going to appeal to you, as you're coming down to receive the Lord's, talking for the believers now, if you're not a believer, don't, you shouldn't participate in the Lord's Supper, but for the believers who come and receive at the Lord's table, I want that to be your decision-making process, walking down here saying, Lord, I want you to help me to turn every trial into test. And if you're entrapped right now, you can say, Lord, deliver me, I repent. And let's join together in these ancient words as we confess together, but make that to be applicable to each individual. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Bible said that when we confess, God is faithful to forgive us.